0: For Real, I'm Jen Oliver, and I am here with Christina Fischera, who, if you listen to episode number 42 of this podcast, you got a little taste of one of my best pals in the world, and one of the wonderful things I love is Christina and I talk about everything under the sun, and we are both massive learners, I think, constantly trying to grow, constantly analyzing our lives constantly picking things apart and trying to understand things more deeply. And we're both super big about the growth mindset. And And I don't mean like, oh, look at us. We're in the growth mindset. We should be, you know, Tony Robbins or something. I don't mean it in that way. But I do know it's different. Not everybody wants to f- tear things apart, break them down and analyze them And then go, what's the lesson for me here? What am I going to, what am I going to gain? How can I grow through this? But Christina's that way. And that's where we're really similar. Um, I am too. And I asked Christina to come back because she has endured uh, the biggest loss of her life in the last six weeks. And we've been unpacking it a great deal. In just conversations and I'll have her just share what she feels comfortable sharing about it. But I think the conclusion we came to was that and Christina, you even said this, we need to talk about this more because so many of us are being blindsided by death and grief. And it is one of the most consistent things we can count on if we're human is that we will be we will live and we will die. And the people we love and the people around us will live and they will die. Like it is, there is nothing more certain at all in the human condition. And so you said, I really want to talk about this more because there is so much I learned through this process of losing my mom that other people have got to know. And I would have, I wish to God I knew. So with that, first of all, I just want to say to you, and I know there's other people listening who are walking through grief right now, they may be losing someone or have just lost someone. And I know that they will be clinging to your words because you will, so no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> they will be, but they, but I imagine like, because I have not walked through this and that's why you're the perfect person to unpack this with in, in what is the antidote to the echo chamber? Cause I could have all kinds of certainties and think I know and think I know the right things to say, which just someone when they're grieving, I just don't, I have not other than loosely losing more distant friends and grandparents. It's not the same. And so that's as always the longest introduction ever, which I, I just determined is a hallmark to this podcast, but I really, Uh, appreciate you. And I appreciate you willing to just get vulnerable and share something so intensely personal for you because this is how you operate. You always go, there's a message in this. You're a messenger. You were made to be a messenger. You were made to use your voice. Your mom even said that, which I think is kind of interesting and beautifully serendipitous. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm just grateful for you being here and sharing what's been going on these last... Few months.
1: Oh, thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me here. And thanks for that amazing introduction. I yeah. really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. So will you just give everyone just a recap uh, or, or just a, a view into what's gone on, how you lost your mom, what led into it. And then we'll go into the magic pamphlet that inspired this whole podcast.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: There's a pamphlet <laughs> y'all.
1: <laughs> Who knew? Definitely. Well, so my mom was diagnosed with cancer for the second time in late July, early August of this summer. And she passed away on November 6th. So, just about six weeks ago. And so, it, it was a lot quicker than any of us expected. Uh, it was her second time around. She had had cancer 17 years prior. So, uh, it was definitely, like you said, the biggest loss of my life. Like, I. I had a bad feeling about it from the beginning when she was diagnosed, if I'm being honest. Um, Mm. But, you know, it happened so much quicker than I thought. And so even though I knew that cancer could spread quickly and I've seen other people in my circles suffer from it, I think, you know, I don't know, part of me knew it was bad but didn't think it was going to be this quick. So I think that's that's a big part of me wanting to speak because I just think sometimes you don't know until you're in it and it's happening and everything just happens so fast,
0: you know. Well, and you even told me, you know, 17 years ago – She fought it and it was very serious and she came back from it, Mm -hmm. lived another 17 years. So there's that little piece of you that goes, well, she fought it once, you know, and succeeded. Mm -hmm. So you cling to that hope again, right?
1: Totally. Well, and that's the thing. Anyone that knew my mom, like she was definitely the strongest person I've ever known in my entire life. And I think, you know, a lot of us say that. I just really feel even the people that in my family and friends that know her, they're like, you know, the, the words they use to describe her is what a force she used to be. That's that's her word. Everyone's like, she was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, And so I think, you know, that's how we all kind of went into it. Even her, like she went into it and she was like, I got this. We're going to figure this out. She was confident from the beginning that she was going to beat it. And so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely – You know, but it was bigger than her, unfortunately, you know, and that's that's what we come into sometimes. It's just sometimes these diseases are bigger than us. And I learned a lot in that process with her.
0: Would you? Okay, but I would love I have had the good fortune of getting to know your mom through you. I actually have never met Mickey. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's of great value if you would just describe just her because I want other people to be able to picture this force. <laughs> that um was to be reckoned with <laughs> absolutely and and just because i think that paints this picture a little more and if you would also like how she's influenced you and how close you guys were because you guys y'all it's really uncommon the closeness they had i mean i don't think there's a, been a day in your life you're 40 years old right mm-hmm. 40 years old, that you have not communicated with your mom.
1: 100%. Up until the last two weeks that she was dying, we spoke multiple times a day, every single day for my whole entire life. And so, yeah. And I think that that's kind of the biggest thing that, you know, my friends and family have been worried about with me through this whole thing because they knew how close we were and Mm -hmm. they kind of can't believe that I'm okay for the most part, quote unquote, you know, like I should be a lot worse than I am supposedly. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure we can dig into that later. But- that is a big part of it because everyone knew how close we were. So, yeah, I mean, to paint the picture of who she was, uh, she was this little, you know. F- I think she was probably four eleven by this time. She was. She always joked that she was shrinking by like an inch every year now, but <laughs> she was like at her at her peak. She was five one, so she was four eleven now. This little four foot eleven you know, ladies, uh, Puerto Rican and Mexican from New York City, lived, born and raised in New York City. And she was just a force to be reckoned with. And everyone knew it. She was very direct. She would tell you 100% what her feelings were, whether you wanted to hear them or not. So (laughs) people would ask for her opinion. And she would say, do you really want my opinion or no? Like, I just want to know ahead of time because I'm going to give it to you. So (laughs) be ready for that. Yeah. And that was just who she was. And she just, you know, she didn't take any shit from anybody. That was basically her. And those were her words, not even mine. But that's her, like how fiery. she was, 100% fiery. Um, but at the same time, she was one of the most loyal people I've ever known. Like she just, when she loved you and you were in her circle, like she would, you know, give you the shirt off her back. Yeah. And so, you know, I just always love that about her. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. And was she also, so we were laughing because um, I was having a conversation with my son like two weekends ago and I said, oh, I feel so empowered. And he goes, mom you've got big dick energy. You need to just rock it. What did he say? It was something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So of course I was like, so pleased. Like, yes, (laughs) I am badass. Yes. Check me out. And so I tell you about it. And then we start talking about your mom and you're like, oh, my mom had total big dick energy.
1: Totally. (laughs) Totally. In fact, like, yeah, I I still laugh about this because she just, she was larger than life. Like any boyfriend that I ever brought home, they were 1000 times more scared to meet my mom than my dad because my dad is like the sweetest nicest like everyone gets along with him super yeah. chill guy my mom will straight up tell you, tell you to your face like if she doesn't like you like 100% that's her <laughs> so any guy that i would bring home they were always nervous to like meet her and like oh, really? i would always be like she's fine just be yourself cuz you're cool like it's fine but like they would be like i don't know like your mom's like serious like they, <laughs> they were uh-huh. and she was so little like it, like by stature she was just so little but yeah. such a big energy in the room yeah And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's her in a nutshell. And the thing is, is like, I still, I felt all of that through this whole entire process. Like she never lost who she was in the whole process.
0: That's what I would love because let's, I I want you to talk about that because I think that's one of the most important things of this pamphlet. So A, explain what the pamphlet is. And maybe one of the first things we go into is this idea that, um, It's like they die how they live Mm -hmm. or or concept. Will you explain that? Because y'all, this, um, there's just some meaty goodness and truths that seem to be almost universal when it comes to death, not in the way we die necessarily or how, but the idea that death is as unique as the individual who is dying. And I would just love if you would talk about that and then maybe we can go back to kind of. Earlier stage, stuff yeah, too,
1: for sure. Well, just to sort of paint the picture for everyone, like I, I remember that I was supposed to fly out on like a Wednesday to go. She had been getting progressively worse, and I. It's funny because I've had conversations with friends who have lost family members before, prior to this whole scenario, and they shared with me because you know I'm over here in California and my family's in New Jersey on the East Coast, and so yeah. I was grappling with. Terrible anxiety, to be honest, over the last couple of months. Of when is the right time to go back? Like, when should I should I be there right now? Should I wait? She kept telling me to wait. Every time I called my mom, I would be like, "Do you want me to come sooner?" She'd be like, "Nope, just come for the holidays. Come for the holidays." It's always what she was saying. Yeah. And my friends that I had talked to here, who have gone through similar experiences, told me, you know, you're going to know when it's your time to go back there. You will have complete certainty. And I I grappled with that because I didn't have any certainty in this whole entire thing. And so I just remember being like. Do I trust myself to have certainty? Am I going to know what that's going to feel like? Or is it just going to happen? Like, I just didn't trust myself. Right. You know? And
0: God forbid that horrible feeling you were like, and what if I don't m- yeah. make the right decision and I miss yes. it? Yeah. Totally. Okay, keep going. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I was very worried about that. But sure enough, in you know, the final weeks kind of leading up to her death, which I didn't even know that that was the end yet until this pamphlet that we'll get into, but I had felt in my own physical body that things were getting worse. Like, I just knew it. And I just, I had booked a flight and then something just was kind of tugging at me to go out sooner and I was grappling with it. And I ended up moving my flight from a Wednesday. I decided the Friday before, like, I need to go this weekend. I can't wait till Wednesday. And a couple other family members kind of justify that when I spoke with them, when they'd seen her and they were like, yeah, you probably should come out here sooner. And so I booked a flight. I decided on a Friday night and I left Saturday night, you know, and I got there Sunday morning And I had 36 hours with her, and she passed on a Monday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So, all that to say, on Monday morning when I was there, I had been with her for 24 hours, and her she she had in home hospice care. So her nurse came on Monday morning, and it was the first time that I had met with an in home hospice nurse ever. Uh, But I sat with her for about an hour in my parents' living room, and she kind of briefed me on what was going on, and she handed me this you know pamphlet, and she said, you know, when you get a chance, you know, she's like I would just kind of sit with yourself and just read through this, like it's going to probably help you. It's going to tell you some of the things to look out for as your mom progresses through the active dying process, you know? And that was the kind of the first time I've heard someone say the active dying process. I didn't really know that there was a process, so to speak, Do you know? Yeah. And so she had told me that morning based on her observation that she thought my mom had a week to live. And so that was hard to hear, of course. You know, it's like I just was never hit with this kind of information so suddenly. But I knew that it was toward the end, so I was somewhat prepared. Um, So I said, okay. You know, and she said, you know, read this pamphlet. It's going to tell you what to expect over the next couple days. You know, I'll be here every day. She was very reassuring. And that is one thing that I would share with everyone, too, is that these hospice nurses are – they're an amazing breed of people, honestly. Like their care and their respect and just like – the empathy and compassion that they have for these people—you know—they give them all the dignity in the world to die mm. in a way that is honorable to them, which is, I mean, it's more than you can ask for, you know. And just yeah. the support they provide the family—just twenty-four hour. Say
0: that it's not just dignity to the the client or the patient, it's to you guys. 100%. Like they're the your biggest resource.
1: 100%. And they have separate, you know, that's the thing. Once you're in like an, an in-home hospice or even an outpatient hospice, you know, scenario, they're available to you 24-7, you know, and they say, call us. Don't call 911 if there's an emergency. Call us. Like it's we amazing. are. Yeah. So I felt comforted in that way that I had a team of people that were very experienced. This nurse had been a hospice nurse or has been for 18 years. So you know all that to say this pamphlet that she gave me i just had learned in that hour that there was a process that the the body is actually built to die like like to your point earlier it's like the only sure thing that we have in our yeah. lives is that we're all going to die and as someone that is so I'm, I'm very into the gym and athletics and running and gym stuff all that and it's like i spend so much time trying to like build up my body right and take care of it and the one thing i kept thinking about through this whole thing is like you know, there's only a certain point, and then, it, you know, your body kind of takes over and goes through this natural process when it's your time to be like, Well, I'm going to decline in my way. And this is the process through by which I'm going to do it. And which on its face, like,
0: has such a beauty and dignity to it. Because think about it just as a baby is born, and you don't have to tell it how to grow. Right. Like, right. the body, the way we are so fearfully and wonderfully made and created divinely inspired from my personal experience however our belief systems inform that it's wild
1: mm-hmm. that
0: it is just instinctive and knows how to grow and knit bone together and put tissues and build muscle and synthesize proteins and to your point yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it knows how to die yeah that was leave. that
1: was a fascinating thing yeah me. like it knows how to do it like we don't and 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 to kind of like preface all of it too is like I'm a huge control freak. Like I try to control everything.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so this was like bigger than me obviously and yeah. starting to go through this process and realize I actually have zero control over what's happening right now and so does my mom to a certain point. Like she mentally has her way of being but her body was taking over at this point on its on its primitive way of doing things, primitive yeah. way of doing things. Like yeah. it was just like this is the time. And so – this pamphlet that, that the hospice nurse gave me, uh, it's called Gone From My Sight, The Dying Experience. And it basically is – it's a short little pamphlet. It's only like 10 pages. And I've read it now, gosh, it has to be over 20 times at this point. But I never got a chance to read it because she gave it to me Monday morning and my mom passed that afternoon, oh. which was, you know, well before the, the week timeline that she yeah. had given us. And so it was unexpected in that way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I didn't get a chance to read it prior to her passing, but I read it you know, many times after and since. And every time I read it, I'm reminded of the fact that I saw a lot of the things that it talks about in the 36 hours that I had with her. Yeah. Which basically just tells you what to expect, you know, in the weeks and even months leading up to someone's death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: it goes, y'all, it goes back like months. Six months even. Yeah. And the signs, and you were saying that all of the sudden, one of the key things I remember you would just be agonizing over the biggest phrase you would say when you'd be trying to talk and unpack this before your mom passed and you were still here in California and we would talk all the time and we go on these walks and you go, I don't know. That was your phrase. (laughs) I don't know. Cause you didn't, I didn't didn't know. And you can't stand not having control and, um, or just having some sense of what is going on. Mm -hmm. And I remember I said, I I told you that principle of that in the absence of information or truth, we will create a fiction so far worse than what is actually real in our minds, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly because you didn't know what to expect. You also have a tendency, if you don't mind me saying, you're hyper vigilant, Mm -hmm. always have been. And so you want to be prepared for whatever, because you've had a few like, Needs to be hypervigilant, especially with your parents. Like Mm -hmm. if there's, there's a history and a precedence there, but isn't that crazy? If you could have had, like you guys, we're going to put it in the show notes. This pamphlet is so imminently useful because even if you don't have anyone you're losing right now to just understand the exquisite and precise and imprecise nature of leaving your body and death obviously in a situation where you're sick, we, it isn't necessarily the case in a sudden death experience. If someone's in an accident or whatever, that's a different deal. This is somebody who's dying from a progressive disease, right? Mm -hmm. But I just think this is so valuable. So would you kind of recount what were some of the things that you went and you went, Oh my gosh. And go from all the way up to the day of losing her back to a couple months prior And all the things you were just so confused by, but now they make perfect sense. Yeah. Because I think that'd be helpful.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think the biggest thing was, and and I know you were there for it, you know, like you said, we we went on so many walks, which I so appreciate. And that's something too, I just want to call out too, is like you mentioned earlier, like you haven't gone through this exact scenario yet. And, you know, I think a lot of people say like, I don't know what to say or what to do or whatever for a friend, but I can honestly say that you are one of my closest friends and you just are walks, like just our walks and just letting me unpack some of this stuff when we both didn't know and you were just helping me hypothesize or just sit in it and just kind of, and like work through it together. Like I just so encourage people to do that for friends because it's so helpful, like just Mm. to have that space, just to create the space to talk about it. And it doesn't have to, You know, I wasn't, you know, like we didn't talk about it 24-7 when we were together, but just to have those moments and have those walks, like it was so incredibly helpful for me Um, because – and I bring that up because I remember one of our walks when we were on the trails over by your house and my mom, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we talked multiple times a day every single day and about two to three weeks prior to her passing, she stopped taking my calls. Like she wasn't answering the phone or I would text her and she wouldn't get back to me. And that was just not her. Like she was on her phone 24 seven, even through this whole thing. She was posting on Facebook every morning. That was mm-hmm. her little thing. She would post little memes about coffee and all that. Like she just always chatting. Oh yeah. She totally. was always chatting with people and always on the phone. And then about three weeks prior to her passing, she just kind of stopped answering. And as someone that's very, very close to her, I picked up on that right away. Totally. And, like, I would call – she would finally answer, like, a day or two later, which is so crazy. You know, like, we talked so much. And then she would just be like, oh, I'm just really tired. You know, or my dad would answer and be like, yeah, she was sleeping a lot today. I'll put her on the phone. And she would – but she would – um she would get off the phone quickly. Like I would ask her how she was doing and she'd be like, I'm just tired. I just, I got to go. Like I'll I'll talk to you later. Yeah. And I felt, you know, I knew she was going through a lot and she was in a lot of pain, but I felt very like hurt by that because I just mm. being so far away, I just wanted to talk to her because it's all that I had, Yeah. you know? And so I remember trying to unpack that with you and, <clears throat> you know, we didn't know at the time, but as I go through this pamphlet and I start reading, it starts talking about how Like three to four weeks prior to somebody passing, they start Mm -hmm. to do uh, this really fascinating thing where they kind of go inward and they're kind of straddling the line between the spiritual world and the physical world. And it it says in the pamphlet that they stop taking interest in a lot of the physical world activities like watching the news or talking on the phone or having friends come visit. And When I started reading that, like I can't tell you like the peace I immediately felt because I was like, oh my gosh, like it wasn't me. Like because I thought it was like me being the closest person to her. Like I thought she just didn't want to talk to me, you know. And so reading that and just hearing that it's not that she didn't want to talk to me, it's that her body was beginning to help her dissociate from the physical world. And what it said so beautifully in there is that they go almost into this like they have to sleep to kind of get into this spiritual world. And that's what she was doing. And yes. so it, they you know, it's just beautiful how they're living in both of these worlds and they kind of bounce in and out. And so, yeah, just hearing yeah. that was just super helpful for me. Well, can I read this? Yeah, please. I think this underscores
0: exactly what you're saying. So mm-hmm. this is on page two. And again, this has gone from my site, The Dying Experience. It's by Barbara Carnes and we'll link it in the notes. Um, it can be anywhere from one to three months prior to death. And then they say, even that that's imprecise because every person is as individual as they are. And so this isn't a prescription or a protocol or a exact science, but it's an estimation, right? But it says withdrawal is the symptom here as the knowledge that, yes, I am dying becomes real. A person begins to withdraw from the world around them. This is the beginning of separation. And from people and from even those they most loved. It's a becoming a time of withdrawing from everything outside of oneself and going inward inside where they're sorting out, evaluating yourself in your life, but inside there's only room for one.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh my
0: gosh. And then what did you say? You just said this, this processing of one's life is usually done with the eyes closed So sleep increases. Hence, she's like, kept saying, I'm so tired. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know what was ravaging her body. Of course, she was tired too, right? Mm -hmm. A morning nap is usually added to the usual after nap. Staying in bed all day, spending more time asleep than awake becomes normal. It appears to be just sleep. But know that important work is going on inside on a level of which outsiders like us aren't aware And with this withdrawal comes less of a need to communicate with others. Words are seen as being connected with the physical life that's being left behind and they lose their importance. Whereas touch and wordlessness take on more meaning. Mm -hmm. Oh my
1: gosh. So crazy.
0: Yeah. So then that made, I love that it made you feel better and gave you a sense of, um, Yeah. Solace that it wasn't at all about you. It was just, she was going through the the normal process. Mm -hmm. But then what was amazing is, are you willing to share like, yeah, you got a few more words from her, which is so stunning when you now look at like where she was at in the process and her body shutting down. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share about then you get there, you get there on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I got there on Sunday morning and she was no longer responsive at that point. Like she could nod yes and no. But she couldn't really get words out anymore. Mm. And so she knew I was there, and I was very grateful for that. You know, I walked in with my, which I will share, like, you know, as somebody that she was the very closest person to me, I couldn't go into her room like when I first got there. Like, I had to sit inside in the living room with my dad for like 20 or 30 minutes because I was very nervous about going in there and seeing her because I didn't know what my reaction was going to be, what her reaction was going to be. Were you worried
0: about how it would feel to you or how she would perceive your reaction or if she'd perceive a bad reaction? Like what worried you? Because I bet other people relate to that. Like they feel responsible for their reaction.
1: Yeah. And is I, that what it was? I think that's what it was. Cause I didn't know, you know, as the, the very closest person to me, I didn't know, was I going to just like lose it in front yeah. of her and then scare her if right. she, I didn't know where she was in the process yet. Cause I had not read this pamphlet and I just hadn't seen her physically in months. Yeah, So I didn't know what I was walking into. And I didn't, I know that the advice that I'd gotten from other friends and family members is that regardless of what state they're in, they can still hear you know, even if they can't see you. And so a lot of people had given me the advice of like, try to like stay strong in front of her. Like, just don't, don't break down. Cause she, you know, people don't know. And it's like, you know, she might be scared. We don't know. Like, I, right. I feel like you just don't know. So, uh, I had to spend some time like with my dad, just kind of settling into being there. And I knew the severity of it. I felt it all on the way and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I just, I needed some time to kind of process before I went in there. And so when I did, you know, she was able to nod. And so my dad kind of was like, Look who's here. And like, you know, just kind of told her I was here. And she nodded yes that he, that she saw me when he asked that. And she was, you know, looking at me and stuff. And so I chatted with her for a little bit. And then I went inside because she wanted to take a nap, you know, like as part mm-hmm. of the process. And I was inside and I kept, I in slowly increased my time. I could only be in there for like five minutes in the beginning. And then I would go out into the living room, sit there for 10 minutes, go back in for five, come back mm-hmm. out for 10. You know, I did that for a little bit. And then I started spending- What would
0: you do when you go back and forth? Do you mind me asking? Would you just like talk to her, touch her hand? Like, yeah. What I was, was that like?
1: I basically was just holding her hand and just trying mm-hmm. to find things to talk to her about that warrant about that because I just know mm-hmm. her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so ironically, the day that I arrived was a Sunday morning and it was the day of the New York City Marathon. And I ran that uh, in 2019 with her. Well, she didn't run it, but she was there at the finish line because I raised- money for cancer research for the breast cancer that she had had 17 years ago. And she got to come with me to that experience. And so she was at the finish line. And so that's the only thing that I felt. I thought about this on the Uber from the airport over to my parents' house. I was like, what am I going to talk to her about? And I just thought like, oh, I can talk to her about this because it's today's anniversary of that. And it was such a beautiful memory for her. And I remember her telling me, because she was born and raised in New York City, like I was telling you. But I remember after she had attended that. And we went through the whole thing. She was like, Christina, like you showed me a side of New York city that I've never seen, (sighs) you know, and it was so cool. Cause she just, she never lived in the running world, the community that I've been in where the people are so amazing and they're supportive. And it's this beautiful show of humanity in New York city where millions of people are out and it's this incredible energy. And she was able to sit in that for four, you know, almost five hours while she waited for me to cross the finish line. And, like, I just never forget her face because she, like, basically showed me with her face like I've never seen this before. And I've lived here and been in this. Like, I've heard about this. I knew about this. But I didn't know what it felt like.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, so I kind of was thinking about those things about what can I talk to her about that's going to bring back those feelings of comfort and joy and just, like, things like that that would make her feel peaceful. Yes. So that's what I talked to her about, you know, and she smiled when I brought that up because I was like, you know, I was like, I told her, I was like, ironically, I was like, I came back today because of the New York City Marathon and she smiled a little. So I knew that she heard that. And uh, yeah, so that's, you know, and then every time I would go in later, I would just kind of hold her hand and I would just, I don't even know, I just would chat with her and tell her i told her about my flight i told her about teddy my puppy for those that don't know um, that's her grand dog that she loved so much oh my God, so i would tell her about that i was just trying to find things to you know because i remember somebody saying to me like don't remind her through this whole process of her being sick they were like don't remind her of the sickness she's got enough of that like around her with doctors and everything else
0: oh uh, so it's not like oh see i'm really glad to hear that i remember when my grandmother was dying and i went in and It was in her final few days, I think. And I came into town to say goodbye to her. And I remember I felt the need to like tell her what a good grandma she'd been and what a good mom she was and what a beautiful person she was. And, but in a way there is such a finality, like, is there that pressure to feel like I've got to say all the things that I got to hurry up and say them all or I guess that would depend on the person, right? Because was there anything left unsaid between you guys because you were so close?
1: And that's what's funny. The The hospice nurse said to me when I met with her that Monday morning, she said, do yourself a favor and go in there with your mom, close the door, talk to her, like spend like 10 or 15 minutes talking to her yeah. and tell her anything that you've not said to her. You know, that she's like, that's, we always advise our, you know, families to do that. Yeah. And I, again, had this feeling of just like solace because I was like, there's nothing that I could tell her right now that she doesn't already know. Oh my God. Because I've talked to her so much like throughout my whole life. So I had nothing to say. Like other than the last couple weeks that I hadn't been talking to her because the day-to-day was getting a little more crazy for her. Like there was nothing that she didn't know, you know?
0: That's so remarkable. And I think that's really uncommon.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I feel very grateful for that because I know that that's not Everyone's experience. I just know that the closeness that we had, I mean, she just knew everything all the time. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to, you know, like, you know, just pull from anything I could to keep it light for her because Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, I just thought that that would help her more.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: Uh, Because that was who she was too. She didn't want to talk about depressing things. You know, she wanted to talk about fun things or like, what's new? What are you doing? You know? Exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: So that's what I did. That's what I talked to her. And then, you know, as I spent the day with her, going in and out of her room I noticed a lot of these other symptoms that you know or parts of the process really that that this pamphlet talks about where her breathing was different you know and again when you're not used to that cuz mm-hmm. I didn't have you know it's not like I have a ton of experience with people that are actively dying but you know her breathing was a little off sometimes or she had these weird even these weird things that this pamphlet talked about like she was picking at her clothes a lot which I know sounds strange but it's like she was like adjusting her shirt or just like she would do these things, and I would think to myself, like, is she itchy? Like, is her skin dry? Like, yeah, I don't she know. Comfortable? Yeah. Like, I just could, you know. And again, I didn't know because I didn't have a chance to read this. And pamphlet. it really does say that. It does, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, I They they pick at their bed clothes, or they'll make agitated arm movements. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? It's yeah. That's what I mean. And so reading that again, like I was like, oh my gosh, that's what that was because once I like built up to more and more hours with her i spent the whole day with her on sunday it's just a matter of me going in and out of her bedroom Mm -hmm. back and forth but i basically in the afternoon i was in there for hours you know like i just was going in there for an hour at a time coming out for 10 15 minutes going back in so i really observed what she was doing you know because i also didn't want her to feel alone you know because she's by herself in the bedroom you know i mean my dad was there too but i don't know like there was no music in there because you know the They weren't – it's not like the room was ready for her to be dying in it kind of a thing. It was her bedroom and she didn't have anything in there. So like I just felt like I didn't want her to be by herself. So I would sit in there with her and, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the random arm movements. There was a beautiful moment that I had with her on Sunday afternoon where her eyes were open but I could tell she wasn't coherent. Her eyes were open and it looked like she was dreaming. Like her eyes were moving side to side like she was wow. dreaming and so i was watching that and she was looking up at the ceiling in her bedroom and it just looked like she was having this beautiful dream and so i was kind of just watching that uh-huh. and then at one point she raised both of her arms up in the air as if she was hugging someone she looked like she, like she had seen someone and that she uh-huh. was about to hug them
0: oh my god and i was
1: like oh my gosh like i just wasn't expecting it because i was just so sitting there beautiful. staring and as I, you know, I can't remember if it's in the pamphlet or not, but I know the hospice nurse, I told her about it when mm-hmm. I saw her that next morning. And yeah. she said to me, that's a really beautiful thing. She was like, I've been doing this for 18 years. And she's like, that's one of the most common things we see as someone's actively dying. She's like, what that is, is that people that have passed that that the person's close with come to get them. So wow. they start to, during these, these times of straddling both worlds, their yeah. loved ones are appearing before them to kind of... Make them feel more comfortable and not be scared and just kind of show them like, this is what's happening. You're coming with us kind of a thing, you know? And so when she told me that after I shared that that story with her, she was like, it's a really beautiful thing. She's like, so you should feel very comforted that she has people around her,
0: you know, that are taking care of her. That's so beautiful. And it's like, whatever our beliefs are, that there is a comfort in knowing that however this process looks. And I I know someone who had, um, three catastrophic, like near death experiences, Mm. you know, Megan uh, Mm that spoke, um, and her stories in a book too. hers were not a long drawn out death. Hers were instant drowning, car accident hemorrhaging, right. But she too had the experience of seeing loved ones, her parents who had preceded her into death, et cetera. Um, come to her and, or push her back. because clearly she, they were like, it's not your time yet. It's mm-hmm. so crazy. And again, whatever it doesn't, there's freedom and a beauty in the fact that there's such a diversity of thought around this, whether it's a religious thought, whether it's whether we believe in heaven whether we leave all of those things. I think what I love about you and what you're sharing and what that hospice nurse revealed is that we can all take solace and feel comfort in knowing the process, um, whether it's someone we love and we're worried, are they suffering? Are they struggling? Is this terrible for them? This departure? Or um, what we might think we are anticipating about our own death. I really appreciate having less fear about it now. Mm-hmm. Because just by virtue of talking to you and learning through your experience with your mom, I feel like I have even less fear of death or less fear about it with my own family members when it comes, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh
1: Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I, too, feel like that now. Like I, That's the thing. I think I had so much anticipatory grief that I had been going through since my mom was sick the first time because she was not supposed to make it from the first cancer diagnosis that she had 17 years prior. She had triple negative breast cancer, which is like the one that you don't want to get. Like at that time they didn't, all they had was an experimental chemo treatment for her. And they basically told her at the beginning, like, we don't know if this is going to work for you. This is kind of a shot in the dark. We'll give it a shot. Wow. And, you know, by the grace of God, she made it, you know, and we had another 17 years with her, but the chemo wrecked her body and she had neuropathy in her legs. she developed kidney disease, she lost sight in one eye, her retina detached. she had tinnitus in her ear where she couldn't hear. so wow the last 17 years for her were not easy, you know yeah. so I think that you know ever since she had had that, I kind of always had this anticipatory grief that I was experiencing of like I could lose her at any time like yeah. that never left me yeah for 17 years, you know and so I think when I ha- you know faced this and it really was the end this time there was almost a piece to it, you know, as, as after like, I'm not worried anymore because I know what's happening now kind of mm-hmm. a thing, you know? Yeah. And so that was, you know, again, it's not like it's it was easy. It definitely was not, but there's peace in it, you know, that I didn't have before that. Yeah. Let's take a
0: quick break. And then when we come back, I want to kind of delve into the anticipor- anticipatory grief a little more, but also just where you're, where you're coming to in this last six weeks, the process, because the change in you has been so profound in a really beautiful way that does not diminish your mom's passing. It underscores what an amazing woman she was and the influence she had on you, but also what an amazing woman you are. And I think that's worthy of mention. And so let's take a quick break, but then I want to come back and just there's, there's so much additional hope beyond what we've just talked about that. I think you, my listener friend pal sitting on the couch with me, maybe you're just like aching for that. You need that one little thing. I just feel that sense. Like you're, you're grappling for and aching for and reaching for that one little thing that you still need to hear. And, I hope we bring that back to you in just a sec. We'll be right back. This is your lucky day. If you are the person who's tasked with booking the keynote speakers or workshop facilitation for your company or your organization, or perhaps you know someone who needs a speaker for a special event or retreat, guess who's available? That's right. I am booking out now for 2024. And if you're looking for a relational person who knows how to deliver truly engaging personal and professional development for your team, I talk all things communication, connection, leadership, and so much more. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Reach me at realjennoliver.com. Click Schedule a Call. And let's explore what your group needs and perhaps I can help. Again, realjennoliver.com. Click on Schedule a Call. Okay, ladies, this one's for you. You will often hear me reference Women Speak workshops when I'm talking on the podcast, and I want you to know more about them in case these would support you. I host small groups of women in the greater Sacramento region in an ongoing curriculum called Women Speak, and it helps a woman to find her more authentic voice and feel honestly more confident in using it. It's a body of work that offers methods and tools, practice and feedback in a really supportive group, very intimate, small group of women. And it will help you to feel a greater sense of self-trust when speaking your truth. And we address everything from people-pleasing to nerves to speaking anxiety. And it's a game-changer whether you're having a hard conversation with someone close to you or offering your perspective in a business setting, or maybe sharing your story or message from a huge stage. We all crave that feeling of confidence and security when we speak. So check out realjenoliver.com, look for the Women Speak dropdown, or click on the button that says Schedule a Call, and let's talk about this. It might be exactly what you're looking for. And we're back. Okay. There, here's the thing I feel would be worthy of mention is for the person sitting on the couch with us who's listening going, yeah, I'm a total control freak. I can't even, like, I can't even manage all this, especially the not knowing how helpful a, a pamphlet like that is. Like, there should be classes on this or workshops or talks or I'm convinced you should be giving a talk on it. So (laughs) stay tuned people. And, um, because this is just, I don't know. I feel like I've never heard this stuff, but will you talk about that whole control thing, even that you kind of wrestled with, even I think it was the night before, right. When you got there.
1: Yeah. Like I think, you know, I'm definitely a control freak, like type a personality, which I get from my mom. Uh, (laughs) but you know, After I spent all of Sunday with her, like I was describing, Sunday night, I started noticing uh, changes in her breathing. Uh, Because, you know, at this point, I was just sitting in there watching her sleep, you know, for hours. And so I was noticing just some shallowness there, or just, you know, the breath was a little bit irregular. Mm -hmm. And I started to panic a little bit. Because I think, you know, my biggest thing once I kind of settled in, was kind of like, is she okay? Like, is she in pain, mm. uh, or is she scared? That was my biggest fear: is is she scared? Because I actually felt like at that point, yeah. weirdly, oddly enough, I wasn't scared. Mm. But I, like, I just wanted her to not be scared, you know? Yeah. So I was very nervous about that. And so when I started seeing changes in her breathing and some of these other symptoms that I didn't know about yet, because I hadn't read the pamphlet, I kind of panicked a little. And I went inside. My dad was sitting in the living room, like watching football or something. And I said, I think we should call the hospice nurse. Like, mom's just breathing different. I don't know. It just seems weird. And so he came in, and we, you know, kind of observed observed her for a little bit. And he'd been with her this whole time, by the way. Like, I was the one that came in thirty six hours before, but he's been with her this whole for forty five years, quite honestly. So. Yeah. I panicked. He kind of came in and he was like, I think she's okay. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think she's okay. Like I kind of had this moment where I was kind of fighting him a little and I was like, no, let's call the nurse. Like I got very um, controlling and I just, we went into the kitchen and I remember him pulling out this uh, little box of medication, liquid morphine and some of these other medications that they had, the hospice nurses had prescribed. And they said, you can give the, give her these, you know, it's under the tongue, just like a little, um, syringe things or you know whatever and you just give these to her every four hours or something if you see that she if you feel like she's in distress Mm. and so my dad was like well we can just give her like more morphine or and i'm like no no like in my mind what i realize now is like i was even though i knew that at this point that she was obviously dying I thought we could still save her, you know? And I thought by calling the nurse, they could give her something and it would help her breathe better again. And then maybe she could maybe talk for a little. Like I just, Mm. I think it was sort of my sort of last ditch effort to kind of just be like, no, I think she could be okay or something, you know? Like even though I intuitively knew, yeah, I just, when I was seeing the symptoms, I was like, no, no, let's get someone in here to see if we could just alleviate those symptoms, just fix it. Like that was my thing, just fix it. Yeah. And my dad had to like grab me by the shoulders and kind of just be like, Christina, she's okay we can give her this medication. There's nothing more that we can do for her. He's like the the nurses have been coming here every day. They they see her. They you know they've been taking her vitals. They know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And he just had to calm me down and just kind of be like this is part of it. But had he seen the pamphlet? No, I. That's the thing. Oh. I kept trying to get. I don't think anyone read the pamphlet except for me.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, like no one. But I'm the but one. He just like I'm knew the learner. because he's been around, yeah. I'm the learner. That's like yeah. give me any piece of information yeah. that I can try to distill and logically make sense of, and I will devour it. Yeah. Whereas really my dad are. is much more just like in the moment, in real life, like this is what's happening, kind of thing. And I think mm-hmm. you know he knew too, like. Again, like before I got there, a chaplain came, a social worker came, the hospice nurses were it's there. Amazing. So they have a whole team that comes in and walks you through the process. So he felt more comfortable, I think, than I did because I came in late and I just, yeah. and I think that was all divinely designed as well because yeah. of my personality. And I don't think I could have handled being there like my dad was because of how close we were. Mm. So I actually think, you know, God sort of protected me from a lot of it because mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. it would have been too hard. Yeah. You know, well, and I
0: think, and we, we talked about this on our walks. I think your mom was protecting you from it too. Do
1: you think? Oh, I can tell you she was because when she was responsive, when I got there on Sunday morning, she kept telling me this whole time, don't come until the holidays. And all of a sudden I showed up, you know, like three weeks November early or something. 5th yeah. Or whatever, yeah. And so I, you know, when I couldn't think of like what to say, I kind of looked at her at one point and I was like, are you mad that I came here early? And she nodded her head, yes. <laughs> and it's something that my dad and I still laugh about and my family too because I told them too and they're like that's her like couldn't even speak and she was mad that I came early you know because I didn't honor her wishes in that way so but you know I think she nodded in a way where you know again she couldn't even speak but I think we had this mutual understanding where she was like I'm mad but I'm also really glad you're here yeah
0: totally you know and totally
1: and that's the thing And, and because she was non-responsive, I wasn't expecting to hear anything from her after that. And she managed to whisper to me, I love you, In the, that afternoon. At <sighs> one point when I was in there, I held her hand and I was just kind of – I don't even know what I was talking to her about. I was probably just nervously talking about whatever. And oh. she looked at me at one point point. She and she squeezed my hand very hard. Which I remember being like, geez, like she squeezed my hand and I was like, ooh, that, t- that must have been hard for her because she was so frail.
0: Oh my gosh, right?
1: And so I just remember thinking like that took a lot of – it made me think –
0: everything. About yeah, it
1: took everything. And after I read that pamphlet about how they're kind of living in both worlds, yeah. I thought like she was very present in the physical world in that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whatever – you know, she just had this moment of clarity where she yeah. wanted me to fully See, she looked at me, she grabbed my hand, she squeezed it and said, I love you. And like, there was no mistaking any of that, you know? That's amazing. Mm. I can't even think of a more beautiful gift. Me either. Like that's, she gave you. Totally. And I never heard her speak again after that. But that's the thing. I, again, like we talk about before, anything that went on set or anything that I regret, I'm so thankful that those yeah. are our last words. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Okay. What about, uh,
0: one of the things I've noticed, we were going to talk more about this anticipatory grief and I'm not totally sure I understand what that is, but I can tell you what I observed as an outsider of you and the, the, the stress and the anxiety you were in prior Mm -hmm. to getting on that flight. And then what I've observed in you since you came home and I wrote it down, I was like, that you were somehow sturdier, stronger, wiser, more resilient. I sense this groundedness in you. And I have to just say, I'm so proud of you and happy for you from the standpoint that, um, this was the thing that you said, this is the worst fear I have. Right. Mm I mean, without question, the fear of losing your parents, especially your mom, Mm -hmm. was like the top utmost fear you were constantly living with and in anticipation of. Mm -hmm. So is Mm -hmm. that what you mean by anticipatory grief? So you were already grieving just the idea of losing them one day?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, when she had cancer the first time 17 years ago, I thought she was going to die then. And I felt like, Every day was a gift since then, which it was with her, Mm -hmm. and so I think I lived with this fear of she's she could die any day now, like that her mortality became very apparent to me after that, Mm -hmm. and so every day I was living in that, like if she didn't answer the phone at the exact moment that I called her, I would panic, and of course she would call me right back, like a few minutes later because she was on the phone herself or whatever, but I was living in that fear that something happened to her for 17 years, Mm. and as a result, I mean. You know, I think we talked a little bit about this in our last episode that we recorded together. But I think I postponed a lot of my joy and what I was looking for in my life because I was living in this huge fear of losing my parents. Yeah. And so I think now that I've gone through it with one of them, I have a different outlook on it. You know what I mean? And I realized, I, it really, it was just realizing that I had no control. Elizabeth Gilbert says that too. I can't remember her exact quote, so I'm sure I'll butcher it, but she said something like, uh, you never had control. You only ever had anxiety.
0: Oh my gosh. You know? And
1: I think I lived it. Cause my anxiety would get the best of me a lot. It's still, but I have felt recently that it's been a little bit more at bay. And I think mm-hmm. it's because I realized through this experience that I don't have any control, you know? Mm-hmm. And when she, the moment I mean, I was there when she passed away and I was in the room after she passed and I could feel. And I don't know how else to say this. It's just from like a tactile physical perspective. Mm -hmm. She was no longer in the room. Like her body was just there, but she wasn't there. And so.
0: That's so crazy to think of because I've never had that experience where I was in the room with someone who passed. Yeah. I know a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. So you described it before. You mean like when you know someone's in a room with you, Mm-hmm. you know there's a presence there. Yeah. And then you're like, the presence is gone.
1: Yeah. Like, have you ever, like, you, I don't know if you've experienced, have you experienced this where it's like you feel like, you know, if you're doing something or you're out in public somewhere and you feel like someone's behind you. Or yeah. you feel, it's like you, you can feel yeah. this live energy of some sort. Yeah. Even and if you can't see it. Even if you can't see it. And yeah. so I think, you know, even seeing her in a non-responsive state where she was sleeping, I felt her there. Like, I could see her breathing she was warm like when i would touch her hand and stuff and after she passed away i was in the room you know a couple hours later and i was sitting next to her and i grabbed her hand and like it was cold you know it has to be the weirdest it was weird it was weird but it was also there was a finality to it to me where i was like she's not in this physical body anymore and i even the hours leading up to her death, like seeing – because she was in a lot of pain, you know? And I think the medicine that we were giving her was helping her. But I just really reconciled the fact that as much as she's the most important person in the world to me, I don't want her here anymore if she could only be in that state. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't good for her and it wasn't a good quality of life for her. Yeah. So I was able to be okay with it like when she went because I was like she's in a better place now because she was going through it, you know, mm-hmm. like at the end. Totally. And so – but it was a very strange feeling to just feel that her – I don't know. I just – it gave me so much more insight into like just our – the – Yes, we're connected as far as like spiritual and physical, but there's a spirit to us that's so separate from our physical vessel, and it's so apparent to me now. Mm. You know, because when her physical vessel was there and it, she wasn't spiritually there anymore, yeah. I could feel it. Wow, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, and I, I think- don't know
0: what you mean, but that's what is so in incredibly illuminating by the way you're explaining it, and I it, what it tells me too is there's something so honorable and remarkable about being there and having the privilege of witnessing someone leave.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's – it's – yeah. And that's the thing. The an- I mean, wow. The anticipatory grief was hard because they were – you know, she was still here this whole time. Yeah. So I was grieving something that had not left yet. I yeah. was grieving the fear of losing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so – I think, yeah, somehow I just kind of reconciled that after she passed that I was like, wow, like I never had any control. Like this moment could have happened at any point in time yeah. over these last 17 years. Yeah,
0: you've been saying that. Yeah, And
1: I just, yeah. And so I had to let, I think I finally let go after that happened. I let go of that and it actually cleared a lot of space that has been held up in me Over these years. That's
0: it. Okay. Whoa. That is what I'm seeing in you. But I remember I kept saying, God, Christine, I can't put words to it. Mm -hmm. You're just different. And there is this grounded centeredness to you. And I I still struggle to find the words, but that's it. There is just a new knowledge and understanding that you have that you will, you can't ever unknow. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I, 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 I still can't give it words. I'm struggling. But what you just said, I hope you guys heard it because <laughs> it's to me so profound and so rich and so beautiful. Like it is the beauty in the ashes, you know, that I think it's a its a, a, a scriptural um, reference where they talk about beauty from ashes.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I feel like that's a beauty from ashes kind of like it's ex- what I'm seeing in you.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's still surreal to me sometimes, like even as we are talking about this out loud, like I just talked to my dad like before we started recording on the phone and yeah, he said he we were talking about something. He's like, oh, yeah, well, when when mom was alive, like blah, blah, blah. He just I forgot exactly what he said, but like even just hearing him say when mom was alive was weird to me in that moment. So there are points in time still where it's weird. Like I'm very aware that it happened. I will Mm -hmm. never forget it, obviously, Mm -hmm. but sometimes like I've noticed, you know, Moments like that happen where I'm like, that's kind of surreal in certain ways, you know, like, it's yeah. just, you know, and that's why I say like, I, I'm very aware that I'm still very new to the whole grief thing. It's an extremely humbling experience. And I just I have a lot of. I know that I don't know half of what I'm going to experience in the future still because it's still so new. Yeah. And everybody handles it completely differently.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're saying that. That's true. I was yeah. just thinking that.
1: And like how I feel today definitely may not be how I feel tomorrow. And I've already experienced some of that. Like I definitely feel like that saying that grief comes in waves. Yeah. That It's definitely true, at least for me. Yeah. Um, But I'm just trying to do the best that I can with it. And I think, you know, it's a testament to my mom. My mom in certain, in a lot of ways I think prepared me because she was very much a realist her whole life. Like that's just who she was. She would make comments all the time of like, you know, I'm not going to live forever, like blah, blah, blah. Or sometimes I would call her and she knew my own anxiety and she wouldn't pick up, but she'd call me back and she'd be like, I'm not dead yet. Like she used to say, that's how she <laughs> answered the phone. Because <laughs> she was like, I know you panic when I don't pick up the phone. Like I'm not dead yet. <laughs> So like she would make fun of me she and like, kills me. yeah, she was just such a realist about that kind of stuff, you know, but she made it very clear to me in so many conversations, thousands and thousands of hours of conversations that like, she's like, you have to live your life. You just have to, yeah you know, uh, and she just, you know, she was Spanish. So every, you know, sometimes things would happen and she would have such a outlook on it. She'd be like, she would say, finito, done, move on. Like that was yeah. her, her, like, move on. Don't, yeah. don't sit in it. And that's what I can't stop thinking about with this whole thing is like she understands that I'm upset but she doesn't want me putting my life on hold in fact she so much so believe that that she didn't tell me how serious it was I didn't know how bad the cancer was I knew that she was going for treatments and that that they weren't working yeah but I didn't have a sense Mm -mm. of how bad it was Mm -mm. until I was going through her things after she passed and I found an x-ray with how you know much the cancer had spread months ago and I looked at the x-ray and was like oh my goodness like I had no idea, yeah, and she purposely didn't want me to know that because yeah. she wanted me to continue living yeah my life, yeah. you know, yeah, and so I think that's something that I would just share with everybody too, is, is like as, sp- as somebody that always wants to have control. if I think that b- if I would have seen that X-ray, I would have been on the next flight that mm-hmm. same day, and I would have been back there. Mm-hmm. but I don't know what good that would have done, you know, like I d- mm-hmm. it's just with her personality and just what she wanted, she didn't want that for me. She didn't want me watching her die. I know. She And she that died. You
0: said this. Yeah. You said she died on her terms.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. She just – she did. I mean, she definitely – at the end, like, I remember that morning after I met with the hospice nurse, another nurse came in and they took care of her. They got yeah. her all cleaned up and she passed that afternoon in her sleep. Yeah. You know? And I remember that same hospice nurse came back in the afternoon and I remember I said to her – because when she walked in, I was, of course – a crying mess and all these things. And I just looked at her and I was like, I thought you said she had another week. Like I wasn't mad, but I was like yeah. surprised and just shocked. Yeah. And I was just kind of looked at her like, I don't get it. Like you, like I just kind of looked at her like you, you're the expert and you told yeah. me she had a week. Yeah. And she said to me, she goes, honestly, she's like, I think that she knew that you were here and she was ready and she was in a lot of pain. And she's like, I think that she's oh. like, I will tell you that she's like in my 18 years of doing this, she would have waited for you. If you didn't move your your flight, she would have waited till Wednesday. But you gave her two days of not having to be in as much pain anymore. Oh, my gosh. You know, and she's like, and because the way she decided when she died, she waited till my sister came that day. Mm -hmm. And we both went in and said hi to her. She was still alive, still Mm -hmm. breathing, but she was tired and she looked very peaceful. She was sleeping because they cleaned her up and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. We'd gotten her in a hospital bed that they wheeled in and all this stuff. And uh, my sister and I left the room and we were talking for 15, 20 minutes. And we went back in and she had passed like tw- like literally 15 minutes earlier, she was alive, and then we went in and she was gone.
0: It's amazing. And we
1: both looked at each other, like, what? Because it just 15 minutes ago, yeah, she was fine, not fine, but fine, you know, Yeah, here. So, yeah, so I don't know, I just but I think the hospice nurse basically said she went on her terms, both of her girls were together. You Know and we had had family that was coming in and out of the house to yeah. visit. She waited till everybody left. It was very strange. Like, it's everybody amazing left. Recognizes. My sister came, yeah. She's she knew we were there and then she felt comfortable enough to go.
0: That's amazing.
1: So, it's very totally strange. Amazing. Yeah. Like, it's just one of those like surreal things that too many coincidences, not coincidences, but divine, you know, intervention things happen during my 36 hours with her. Yeah. That you know, I just know that it was the way it was supposed to be, yeah. you know?
0: And that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Cheers to Mickey Fashera. Cheers to Your her. beautiful, crazy mama mm-hmm. who is now running some kind of show in the universe. <laughs>
1: oh, totally. Totally. Jeez. Absolutely. Totally. Oh,
0: I'm so grateful for you. I'm really, really grateful. And... um. You guys, I just want always that when we talk on this podcast and we're all together here, you know, in this conversation that everyone feels really held and seen and honored. And I really pray, honestly, that this conversation didn't create pain or anxiety, but instead gave a little bit of feeling if you're walking through this or have walked through this, that you a feel resonance and feel seen like, Oh my gosh, they get it. Yep. That's exactly how I feel. And that there's something comforting in that or that you just feel maybe a little bit less fearful and scared and aren't postponing that joy. Like I'm really glad you said that Christina, because I feel like you're different now as we wrap up and maybe you could share, like, how do you feel you're different now? Because I do think you are living And making decisions differently, it's remarkable to see the difference in you in six, seven, eight weeks, Mm -hmm. really. And you are different and in the best, most beautiful, like, I don't know if maturity is the way, wisdom just keeps coming to mind. Like there's this wisdom and it is a, no, it's a, it's a calm. There's a calm to you that's different than before. So, would you just, as we finish up, just say how you're different? And then I would go back, you guys, to episode forty-two, to our other um, podcast episode that we were talking about a lot of other things. But that postponing joy, I think, is such a beautiful message for all of us who are living. We are living.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, where do you, where do you get, where do you go with that?
1: Yeah, like two things come to mind. The first thing is I actually feel. Well, I feel a little bit guilty if I'm being honest mm. um, that I it took this for me to feel this calm because I think mm. my mom was always trying to gear me towards feeling more calm to feel this way wow. and I was incapable of doing that somehow. Like even with therapy and all the different things, like I was always worried about this moment and so I think it was holding me back in a lot of ways and she saw it and was always trying to get me to not be like that. So I feel guilty that it
0: took, Mm. you
1: know, this happening for me to feel more calm now. Yeah. But I also feel a sense of just, you know, I want to honor her now and I want to take more control like over what I'm doing in my life. You know what I mean? Because I think anybody that we love – so much like we want to control and i always what always comes to mind for me is i always said like i want to bubble wrap my parents if i could just keep them safe. you
0: have always said that
1: it's true mm-hmm. like i just i picture it because i'm like i just want to keep them safe and i totally. made all the decisions that i've been making in my life were to try to keep them safe and i realized that i can only do so much now and yeah. you know there's so many things that are bigger than me that have a, you know way more control than i ever thought i had yeah so that's my biggest thing if i could just leave anybody with that is like you know because I think about what I could have accomplished in 17 years. Not that I don't have more time now to do it, but my mom could have maybe seen a little bit more, you know, like if I Mm -hmm. had gotten my act together a little sooner, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? So I think that's it. But yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you really just spoke to
0: something that is for so many of us who, whether it's our parents, whether it's our spouse, oh, here's a big one, our children. Mm Mm-hmm wrapping them in bubble wrap trying to protect them god forbid any harm would come to them like i i believe that is so common Mm -hmm. and and it comes from a place of love we care about them we don't want anything to happen to them we don't want to lose them we don't want to endure what it would feel like to walk the earth without them or have anything any harm come their way of course Mm -hmm. like i think it's one of the most human things about us and um all of this is just uh, i guess the art of being human
1: it totally is.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. But I just think, you know, the biggest thing that we can do for anybody that we love, if you're worried about them or you have anxiety about them, is, like, just, you know, the biggest thing I can think of is just to live and honor them while they're still here. Yeah. And live your life. Like, I just, I think it's so important, you know.
0: hmm Totally. Because we totally.
1: all are, we all are on the journey together. and. The one thing that I've learned is all the things come when they need to come. And I didn't I didn't have faith in that before. Like I was always being like, am I going to know? I don't know. I don't trust myself. And yeah. just like other people shared wisdom with me and told me I would know, I did. And like now I understand that. So I think if I had heard that from somebody that I trusted and somebody that I just – not that I didn't trust people's advice, but like, you know, when you know yourself and yes. you just – like now that I feel it, I'm like, I wish I could have felt this in me years ago. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do so
0: yeah well we're here now
1: yeah oh my gosh and one more thing I just want to add before we wrap up is I read a quote recently in my journey of going through this whole grief process and it said healing happens in community and I just want to call out how important it is to have you know if you have a friend or family member that's going through a very difficult loss like this like just how much it means to have close friends around you and you know all of my friends here you know in the co-working space and just in this community of Folsom that are so fantastic and also all of my friends that came and showed up for me in New Jersey when my mom passed all of my roommates from college that I were my my closest that. friends and I you know everybody gets busy and life gets crazy and we don't all talk every day but to have them come out of the woodwork at the one of the most important times of your life when you're just going through this loss that's unlike anything else it just Really shows you who your friends are and who you can count on. And I just encourage anyone that's listening to it that has friends or family going through this, like just be there, you know, because it it means the world. And I will never forget how much my friends have been here for me. I mean, my friends in California, I felt like they were with me every step of the way in New Jersey. You too. I mean, just sending me care packages and the phone calls and the texts, I really felt like everybody was physically with me, Mm -hmm. you know. So just to be held up like that is just incredible. So. Well, and what I think that says too is again
0: presence when we're like bodily presence, it's such a weird um juxtaposition when we talk about a soul being present and then not present anymore, and then it's just a body a vessel that's now there and they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. but then how much it is so meaningful when we are present for each other mm-hmm. in this like it's you could have the joyful stuff and you could have um the laughter and the fun and the joyful thing and all the fun memories. Yes. Awesome. But oh my gosh, when we show up for each other and I really appreciate you saying that too, because I'm one of those people that always want to have the right thing to say. And I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I think all of us grapple with that. What's the right thing to say when someone's lost someone or when someone is about to lose someone, let's say there are no words that will ever be sufficient. When someone loses a person that they hold so dear But our presence and our support and our love and our just care and concern is so sufficient. And so we got to just remember that showing up imperfectly and not knowing the right thing to say is so perfect because it's the showing up and it's the presence. It's almost nothing having to do with what we say.
1: Totally. And in fact, we don't have to say much of anything. No, absolutely not. You know? No, that presence is really... You you hit it on the head with that one for yeah. sure. It's just it's so incredible to have that kind of support. So yeah. Any way you can be there for friends and family, I highly encourage it. Cause I, I don't know where I would be without everyone that's been reaching out over these six weeks. It's meant the world to me. So yeah, totally.
0: Oh, my friend, thank you. I appreciate you so, so much. And um, let's just dedicate this episode to your mama.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you so much too. I really yeah. appreciate your friendship hundred oh, percent we're in this for the
0: long haul yeah
1: we definitely are
0: all right you all I hope you have a beautiful beautiful week and we'll see you next episode and just thank you too for for just sharing this conversation with us because it really is tender and it really matters and I know that um that means that means a lot to Christina as she shares her story but means a lot to me too, that you're willing to have these conversations with us. So we'll see you next time. Listen for Real is produced by the Jen Oliver Collective and is edited and mixed by Mark Brown. Our music entitled Zero is written and performed by Shannon Curtis. If you believe conversations like these belong in the world, would you please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast? And even better, Share it with someone else as a real conversation starter. And if you crave something in person, join our audience at the Real Conversation Speaker Series. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you next time.